So I was trying to think of just something nice that I could get for Autumn. You know, just something that was like, hey, this is from, you know, your Uncle Aaron. And uh, the Matrix Bear that Build-A-Bear has right now is actually kind of dope. Yeah, it is. But I just got an email. They have a limited edition pizza bear from the fucking 1979 movie Prophecy. What did you do? Bro, I I can't pass that up. So so anyway, I'm getting that and I'm going to mail it to you guys for autumn to have and i think she'll love it it'll be great does it have extra mozzarella <laughs> all right welcome to another episode of watch if you dare a horror movie podcast hosted by me your movie monster boy aaron and my coward the co-host derek in which we dissect the fears phobias and social relevancy of horror movies across all ages and subgenres, as well as discuss just how scary they are for horror newbies and horror junkies alike like i mentioned uh in our stupid intro this week we are going to be doing prophecy from 1979 we're going to be dipping back into some eco horror well not just eco horror we're dipping back into fucking insanity <laughs> goofiness we'll get into this later but you pick this no, I didn't. So, listeners, back up. <laughs> what I wanted to do was an animal attack movie of some kind. I don't know why. I just felt like it was the right time. We've we've done Supernatural recently. We've done a little bit of Slasher. You know, we've done all this stuff. It had been a minute since we've done Animal Attack. The Bay, I guess, technically counts as Animal Attack as well as Eco Terror. But in my mind, for some reason, I've been wanting to revisit Lake Placid, which yes, I know is a comedy, but it is classified as a comedy horror, sir. So I. I think it still counts for our show, but Aaron, listeners, 100% thinks it's just a comedy, and he pushed that we do a different Animal Attack movie, and we decided to go with Prophecy, um, which wasn't my choice. I just wanted <laughs> this kind of genre of horror, and this is what I got was this fucking movie, but um, we'll get into this a little bit later, but unlike all the other like insane horror movies that we've done, there is a weird dichotomy in this movie. It is a, truly a movie of two faces, and we'll get into it later, but what I mean by that, but yeah, that's <laughs> what's going on with behind the scenes, listeners. Cute and cuddly bear face and one fucking melty tumor face. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> All right, awesome. Well, yeah, we are going to talk about the movie in just a minute, but uh, let's do some recommendations real quick now that we are officially through the holiday season. Uh, we've had a little bit of time to kind of rest and recoup, so uh, we are back on the shit again, and uh, I think we've got a couple things to talk about. So, Derek, let's start with you, bro. Yeah, so I only have two recommendations um, this go around, but these are two recommendations. I think you and I will probably spend a little bit of time talking about Aaron. The first one is a book. It is called Monsters, Makeup and Effects, Volume One, Conversations with Cinema's Greatest Artists. And it is written by Heather Wixon, W-I-X-S-O-N. Heather Wixon is a pretty well-known horror journalist. Um, I think she wrote another book previous to this one, uh, but this is the book she's been working on for the last several years. Uh, finally dropped back in, I think, end of October. I ordered it immediately. I I ordered you a copy, Aaron, sent you one. You did. Thank you. How I got turned on to Heather Wixon's work was actually through the F This Movie podcast because she's shown up a few times as a guest there. And her and Patrick almost always discuss a horror movie anytime she's on. Do you, how do you know Heather? Is it the same thing for you, Aaron? Or That as well as I've been listening to Corpse Club for years and she and Patrick now have a like Wes Craven specific spinoffs. I mean, yeah, I've been listening to her on and off as she's been on things for the last probably decade, I guess. 
Yeah, but uh, this book specifically, and it's a lot of fucking interviews, by the way, you know, I went into it thinking like, oh, she got like eight people to interview or something like that. No, there's like 15 or more interviews in this book, um, and it is a wide range of people. The stuff that's interesting to me, it focuses more on how they got their starts. Yeah. Not so much insight into like the craft itself, which actually I kind of liked because I feel like it's more accessible for everybody to read. That way, it's not just a bunch of movie lingo thrown at you. It's more just what are the, the mindsets of these people? people and what is their like history of getting into the industry who have they worked with what have they worked on and it's just kind of a celebration of all their work the thing i really enjoyed was at the end of each interview which is she basically treats like a chapter she includes behind the scenes pictures that i guess the people that she interviewed provided her um and some of them are really fucking neat it's them like hands-on working on makeup and working on just the molds for certain monsters including stuff like the xenomorph like super famous stuff um and then them with you you know, stars halfway through the transformation um, as they're applying their makeup and all that. Just give you an idea, discussions that are included, Thomas Berman, Screaming Mad George, Ton Woodruff Jr., Tony Gardner, Paul Jones, which <laughs> I texted you when I was reading through the Paul Jones interview, Aaron, <laughs> my thoughts on him. But yeah, and just like a wide range of uh, other people. And the thing that was always interesting to me was they all kind of had similar introductions into the film industry and working yeah. on TV and everything. Everyone did a little bit of work on Gremlins 2. Everyone seems <laughs> to have done a work on Aliens, the second Alien movie. Yeah. And then the fucking other linchpin, the like actually the two weirdest linchpins that a lot of these guys said was kind of like an important step in their career was one, Harry and the Hendersons. Yes. And two, the Planet of the Apes remake from 2001. Like even though that movie like bombed, apparently it was like a big step forward for effects and uh, SFX and makeup and all of that. Yes. It was kind of a big deal for that when it came out. Yeah, there are also a little bit of like hints at like Gorillas in the Mist as far as like the non-sci-fi, non-horror stuff goes. Sure, yeah. Rick Baker worked on that, I think, and he like reinvented the movie Gorilla, made it as realistic as you possibly can get yeah. for just a guy being in a gorilla costume. So it was kind of fascinating to see all that, but there was also a lot of horror. You know, obviously a lot of these guys pointed to monster movies like Universal, kaiju movies like the original Godzilla and the original Planet of the Apes. The original Planet of the Apes was another thing that was brought that was up. as a big as like, one for a lot of people. I've for a lot of people. Years, yeah. yeah. And then they also, a lot of these guys kind of cut their teeth with their heroes like Rick Baker, Tom Savini, Dick Smith is another big one. Yep. Yeah, so like a lot of those guys mentioned that those guys are their heroes and getting to work with them was a trip, blah, blah, blah. Just kind of anyone who is interested in movie making in general, but especially if you like horror movies, give this book a, a, a look. Pick it up. Um, I think it's like on Amazon as well as other booksellers online. Uh, you can like Google Heather Wixon Twitter and go through her Twitter and like get to the book that way. It's good shit. Like it was definitely worth every dollar I spent. It's nice hardback and it was just a trip to kind of learn a facet of horror industry and like movie making in general that like I otherwise kind of always overlooked Aaron I think you were always more of a a behind the scenes guy than I am and as far as watching those kind of special features yeah I love all that shit but this book kind of really did give me a new appreciation for like the work that goes into it and the other fucking thing was even the best of the best of these guys and gals she actually uh, there are actually a few women she interviews as well which was nice but 
the thing that's craziest thing to me about this, like it doesn't matter if you come off aliens or like one of these big, well-respected, huge movies, like you immediately are working on like schlock as well. Yeah. They love it all. Like they just love making monsters and making makeup and all of that. Um, and it's a good book to almost use as like a guidebook for stuff that maybe was overlooked or like cult classics that like you would have never heard of otherwise. I certainly added a couple films to our uh, our list of movies, Aaron, from this book. I don't know if they're any good, but they sound fucking wild. Like Chud, C-H-U-D. Yeah. That movie seems amazing and I, I want us to cover that eventually, but stuff like that. So yeah, if you're looking for like also some deep cut horror movies or just like genre films in general, this book can kind of guide you in that way just based off of the movies they bring up that they worked on. Have you had a chance to dig into this at all yet? Barely. I haven't had a whole lot of time to like read, read because of work. Audiobooks have been blasting through, which I've got some to talk about, but as far as read, reading goes, not a whole lot of time, unfortunately, but I have looked through the book. I started it and uh, I do appreciate how many photos are in it, I will say. So it's nice, especially with something like this that is all about the visual creative aspect. It's nice to have all the photos included. So yeah, it's good shit. Yeah, I think that was like one of the things that you kind of are disappointed with about Disney that they haven't quite done that with some of their bigger movies like the Avengers movies even. Well, Disney specifically lately because they've got so many of the big giant massive tentpole kind of things um, which granted, you know, yeah, there's a lot of green screen involved in that stuff but, you know, every one of the Avengers has a physical costume. I'm curious to know what went into those design-wise. Every Star Wars movie still has a ton of creatures and robots and shit and I want to see all that stuff, right? But every company has stopped producing special features for newer movies like that because it's just an extra investment and they probably assume people don't watch that shit, um, which is mostly true. People don't really watch special features except for like the hardcore fans. But that's why boutique companies are so awesome because they do include a ton of that shit. So yeah, yeah, I mean, I wish some of the bigger things would have more of that. I miss, you know, having two full extra discs of bonus content behind the scenes shit like with the Lord of the Rings extended editions. But I get why that stuff is not necessarily present anymore, unfortunately. But I mean, I grew up watching making of behind the scenes specials and love that shit. I still love that shit. So yeah, I miss it. And this book is kind of a nice alternative. Yeah, because I I feel like it might have been the first episode Kelly was on for for uh, Fright Night. He mentioned that Warner Brothers, was it, was putting out like those behind the scenes 45 minute documentaries on their on their YouTube. I I watched the Mad Max Fury Road one and it was awesome. But I I feel like there were other ones that they put out like for the Dark Knight, maybe, or the Dark Knight Rises or just like kind of their bigger movies. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, with Disney Plus being a thing that they would put more of that out, which they kind of are, but not necessarily the same consistently either because i know like didn't it take forever for like the mandalorian behind the scenes show to like catch up to like the actual exactly like seasons yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i wish it was better i'm thankful for what we have though but yeah this book is definitely like a nice guide that kind of goes real in depth with everybody that you've ever seen a movie from like they're all in the book so yeah definitely worth checking out yeah christ like she interviewed i forget, I forget the guy's name or which one it was but like she interviewed the guy who basically created the leprechaun for the leprechaun movies so like it, it's just stuff like that that is really cool to read about and like most of these guys it is interesting to see the different personalities that you can even tell just through the pages but most of them are like pretty humble it sounds like and they're just basically movie nerds that like are super creative and they just kind of got to like do what they love for their career yeah and they don't care if they work on schlock or like blo- 
blockbusters or whatever. But yeah, really good book. Monsters Make Up and Effects, Volume 1, Conversations with Cinema's Greatest Artists by Heather Wixon. My last recommendation, and this will be probably something that you and I can talk about. I decided on a whim a week or two ago to watch this movie. And I don't know if it's because he's been on the brain just randomly as of late, like you bringing him up uh, on and off. Because of this podcast, he is possibly my now my favorite director, period. I had never seen the original Assault on Precinct 13 (laughs) by John Carpenter. They're not afraid to die. Any of them. They want to rip us apart no matter what it costs. It means to the death. Precinct 13, cut off, isolated in the middle of a city as a human wave of street killers turns the night into a nightmare. We got a war going on down here. We can't find the damn thing. A white-hot night of hate. Assault on Precinct 13. Granted, this isn't a capital H horror movie. The reason why I'm bringing up as a recommendation is any horror fans, especially if you're a fan of Carpenter's horror and you haven't seen Assault on Precinct 13, do yourself a favor, go back and watch it. Because this was the movie he put out before Halloween. And so much of what the proto themes and tone he was going for it's all is in this movie. Yeah. It's all there. Like I was shocked at like how much of Halloween the seeds were planted in Assault on Precinct 13. It's also interesting, too, with a handful of those guys. They all grew up watching westerns and loving westerns and wanting to to make westerns and right out the gate assault on precinct 13 is basically a western right basically is but the fact that they said it and at the time it was modern times in the 70s it was 1976 when this movie came out the fact that they said it in like a police precinct that was shutting down and it was the very last night was like i feel like ingenious yeah so it felt like and i mean this in the best way um i don't mean this insultingly it felt still a little bit amateurish like in a way that he kind of wraps up that feeling in halloween but I think that really helped the movie. It felt like there were parts of it that f- still felt kind of film school-esque, but with a bigger budget. And I know that the uh, Blank Check podcast has been doing John Carpenter, and they brought this up on their episode on Assault Precinct 13, even to the point where when he's driving in his car to work and the camera is in the, like, basically in the passenger seat following him or on the car next to him following him from the side, they are just shooting that in downtown LA because you can see people passing him by and staring directly into the camera being like, oh, what's going on here? Yeah. So, so if you don't know, Assault on Precinct 13 premise is pretty simple. It starts off with this local gang. Imagine the gang from the Warriors if they never killed the leader in the beginning and they actually did get their shit together and all the gangs united into one giant mega gang. Imagine the Warriors, but with lots more PCP. <laughs> yes. And imagine like that local gang instead of bringing like street justice to New York City, it was just like borderline blood ritual satanic gang that that just has no fear of death and wants to kill. <laughs> like, yeah. But it starts off with some of their members getting killed in a LAPD raid. And it seems like they're swearing vengeance by just basically committing random acts of violence, random murders. And this first lieutenant, Ethan Bishop, it's his first day on the job. He gets assigned to this precinct that is literally, it's their last night. They're shutting down. The phone lines are cut. The power's about to be cut off. All their shit's packed up. He just basically needs to babysit the precinct overnight for a night shift and then it's closed down the next day some tragedy happens and then the gang shows up and they basically swear like 
a blood ritual like we're going to kill everyone in this building. So the reason why I bring this up as a horror recommendation, I mean, beyond just John Carpenter, and this is like a very good lead up to Halloween, there was a lot more horror elements to this movie than I was expecting, and it was all really surrounding the gang. Yeah, I thought going into this, the gang was going to be like Mad Max, loud, kamikaze, run into the building, shouting, witness me, stuff like that. And they are kamikaze, like they don't fear death at all. They're all like just bum rushing the building. But there's like a weird hypnosis kind of zombie-esque hive mind thing happening yes yeah they're all quiet they, i mean they make noises like in screams like when they get shot and stuff but they none of them say a word i think there's only like a couple bits of dialogue between the four leaders they are all terrifying they're very halloween-esque stalkerish very michael myers-esque i love how they set up that like this precinct is on the outskirts of los angeles almost in the middle of fucking nowhere so it's just darkness all around the precinct because like all the power's been cut and everything and so they're lurking in the darkness you can barely see them in the shadows and like as soon as you step out of this police precinct they just gun you down out of nowhere they're using silencers there's just a lot of dread and hopelessness but also like there's nothing we can do but fight back because if we don't fight back we're all dead there's also elements even of escape from new york in this movie because of like these just kind of unknowable henchmen rushing into the building but on top of that you have the prisoners and that one prisoner feels very snake plissken-esque and he's very infamous as a criminal but they never explain why he's infamous you just know he's like a badass basically it has one of the biggest fuck yes moments i've ever seen in any movie action or otherwise when he tosses him the shotgun that scene when he like throws him the shotgun and he catches it and blasts that guy i to get up and fucking clap in my couch like it was such a good moment it's just a solid action thriller and like honestly thriller movies are basically the cousins to horror movies in my mind god damn was this a good movie um i haven't seen the remake i've heard the remake actually isn't bad for what it does it's different in just enough ways that it changes it up and I think it's mostly successful. I think it's definitely a little bit underrated. It came out at a time where so many of Carpenter's movies were being remade. Mostly terrible, right? So this one was kind of, I think everybody expected it to be awful. And it really is not that bad at all. The cast is solid. The performances are all pretty solid. And like I said, it's keeping the same nugget of the story, but changing things up enough that it feels like a different movie. So I, I certainly think it's worth checking out. And the other couple things i wanted to bring up the budget for this movie was only a hundred thousand dollars that's insane with how good this movie is it really goes to show you like carpenter despite like how he wishes he had better budgets and like is kind of a curmudgeon about that i think he just thrives in low budget when you limit him he just explodes he gets every bit of positive acting scenes tone just squeezes out every little dollar like makes everyone count i think it was on again on blank check it's kind of surprising with this cast that like no one really became super famous because they all felt like movie stars coming into their own in this movie but none of them really like i mean some of them like got a lot of work afterwards obviously and had long careers but none of them like became a-listers which is crazy to me yeah especially austin stoke I thought he would go on to do some big shit. Yeah. So all that said, what Carpenter movie are you planning on checking out next that you've not seen yet? I don't know, because like, I think I even want to maybe go back and watch Dark Star now. I've seen Escape from New York. I've seen The Thing. Kind of actually, I think the next one is going to be Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, hell cause yeah. Because I've seen bits and pieces of that movie, but I haven't watched that start to finish either. Oh, hell yeah. That's one of my favorites. 
And and another one that I may visit soon too is Escape from LA, even though I've heard it literally is just Escape from New York again. But like, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with more Um, Escape from New York. I mean, you're right, but also you're wrong. (laughs) You're right in the sense that it is basically just the same shit again. But man, oh man, is that movie like a million times more campy and stupid and ridiculous. So I might like it. It is totally (laughs) in the opposite direction. Yeah. So yeah, I would be curious to see what you think about it and uh it's about to come out on 4k so it'd be a perfect time for you to watch it yeah. the most k's cool yeah you've got a good bit to dig through yeah i mean i haven't seen christine i haven't seen starman like yeah yeah. you you got a lot of good shit ahead of you so that might be a good project for the next couple of months yeah i really wanted to bring up especially that book and then assault on precinct 13 but um otherwise i'll save what else i have for later hell yeah cool well i'll try to be brief with mine uh so i have two movies and two audiobooks and a comic to talk through real quick. So we blasted through a bunch of movies on my birthday. The only thing, I guess, remotely horror-related, because uh, we watched a lot of shit like Quick and the Dead, Out of Sight, and just nonsense shit like that, but we watched Petey Wheatstraw, The Devil's Son-in-Law, starring <laughs> Rudy Ray Moore. I have a proposition to offer you, Petey. Are you willing to listen? But what do you want from me now? A son. You got to be sick. Don't give me that supernatural shit. That dolomite, man. Rudy Ray Moore is back funnier than ever in the new movie, Petey Wheatstraw. Start praying, pal. Yes, tell your boss I'm still alive and I'm mad as a honey than a bumblebee eyes. Yeah? I'm Petey Wheatstraw. This is directed by Cliff Roquemore, who also did The Human Tornado. Um, So if you want a, like, groovy-ass stack of super un-PC blaxploitation, just silliness. Rudy Ray Moore is the usual badass that he plays, where he is, you know, the ultimate cool guy comedian. Uh, He makes a deal with the devil that he has to marry his daughter in order to, like, right some wrongs in the community. And that's all I will say, because kind of where it goes and how it gets there is kind of interesting. And there's definitely, like, something being said there. But it's basically him taking advantage of the fact that he now has all the powers of darkness to, like, right wrongs in his community. That's a really interesting premise. So, yeah, if you want to see him, like, really half-assed kung fu beat up people and every line he says is some kind of rhyme like he think he's bad and ain't got no class i'm gonna wrap this shotgun up his motherfucking ass it's fucking ridiculous but we had a lot of fun with it and if anybody has not seen my name is dolomite on netflix with eddie murphy that movie is fucking fantastic and it's kind of a making of the movie prior to this one so it kind of gives you an idea of all the uphill battles that this one dude had to go through to kind of make these weird passion project movies that are just complete and utter amateur nonsense but in the best way yeah other movie i would mention is from 1991 one directed by Shinya Sukamoto. This was one that pff, 
I have not seen until now. Uh, I did not know that he directed this because I figured I had most of his work knocked out. But this is Hiruko the Goblin. It's about an archaeologist who is searching for digging up an ancient tomb where there is like a goblin entity trickster monster thing that wants to like take over the world and it just so happens to be on the grounds of this Japanese high school and so of course you know these two or three Japanese kids get involved with it and it becomes kind of this whole like fight to the end to uncover what the mystery is and stop these goblins it's pretty bananas like it has a lot of the visual aesthetic of Tetsuo the Iron Man and Tokyo Fist and a lot of his other stuff but with way more creature effecty kind of things it's kind of bananas yeah I'm looking at images from this movie and it looks genuinely kind of rad but also kind of terrifying in certain points it's definitely campy I would say but there is some really unsettling imagery in it like imagine like a weird giant spider thing but the big bulbous the butt of the spider whatever that part is called I can't remember animal stuff uh is like a teenage girl's face and it's singing yeah those are kind of the images i'm seeing yeah yeah so there's like some unsettling shit in that movie for sure that one just came out on blu-ray from bonda macabre so you can check that out now then i have two books two actual book books one is the indifferent stars above written by daniel james brown this is about the donner party yeah Uh, this book has been on my list for a while and I know that like a lot of podcasts reference it too. It's pretty great and uh, definitely lived up to all the hype and is really fucking bleak and depressing. I bet. If you just want to hear like awful tales of people having to like decide, okay, cool. Do we all just need to fall asleep and fucking die in this snow or do I need to like use the last bit of strength I have to like rip the weird canvas off the wall that we're using to keep the snow out of our like lean to and boil it until it becomes a mush that I can feed my children for them to survive. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's pretty rough. It's, it's, it's real rough. rough, y'all. Yep. <laughs> it's a lot of, you know, hey, uh, we just ran out of food like four hours ago, so I think we should probably all resort to cannibalism. No, that's a bad idea. Come on, guys. Come on. It'll be great. Like, let's draw short straws and let's see who we kill first. Oh, shit. I got the short straw. I'm just kidding, guys. Just just kidding. No yeah. big deal. Like, it's just full of that kind of nonsense bad luck. The entire book is just that. If you haven't heard of the Donner Party, which I know you and I, we listen to a lot of true crime, like last podcast on the left and other shows like that. So a lot of people have covered it. If you don't know anything about it and you want to learn more about it, this book is the best resource from what I've heard that covers the Donner Party. Just imagine like the most fucked up Wendigo situation, except there's no Wendigo. It's just people cannibalizing. And that's kind of the Donner Party. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, this is basically Oregon Trail, except they were all trying to go to California. The entire story hinges on the fact that it's a bunch of men who were like, hey, we're going to listen to this other man that told us he knows like a shortcut. That's dumb. We shouldn't do that. We don't know this guy. Let's just take the route that thousands of other people have taken no 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 no. but see we're the men we're right we know what's going on uh we're gonna listen to this other guy and we're gonna do what he says and then it's just fuck ups from there 
everything that could go wrong does go wrong, and they eventually all just get stuck and snowed in in the Sierra Nevada mountains, then they resort to cannibalism. So yeah, that's the nutshell of the story. Lots of interesting details and context in the book. Lots of interesting science tidbits that, you know, hey, look, here's what happens when you actually starve. Here are the things that happen to your body. This is what happens to, like, your brain on starvation. This is why men statistically die at higher rates than women in these weird survival situations. There's lots of interesting stuff like that in there that the author breaks down. So yeah, that is definitely worth checking out. Again, that is The Indifferent Stars Above by Daniel James Brown. Other audiobook that I have is Fever Dream by George R.R. Martin. Huh. Okay. This is one that my wife read years and years and years ago and was like, yeah, you should totally check this book out. Okay, cool. It is just a few years before the Civil War. It is about vampires on a fucking luxury steamboat going down the old Mississippi to fucking New Orleans, right? Okay, so you have my attention now. I like that setup. It's pretty good, yeah, right? I can a thousand percent see see why lots of places were like, oh yeah, no, we totally should make this in the wake of Game of Thrones being so big. But then I also completely understand why a lot of people were like, nah, but JK, that's too expensive. Because not only is it period, but it is basically all set on a fucking steamboat. And, uh, yeah, vampires. So, there's definitely some, like, shocking shit in the book, you know, as happens with a lot of vampire stuff. I think the characters are all fairly interesting the conflict is very interesting. This book does the same thing that the Song of Ice and Fire books do, which is hint at a lot of really, really cool shit that happened years and years ago, but we're not going to actually talk yeah. about that, right? <laughs> yeah. Or we're not going to wrap up any of that either. Yeah, it's just a lot of, this is the entire fucking history of all of our vampire shit. But no, 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 no. We're worried about right now. Like, okay, shit. Other little small thing I would note is everybody makes fun of how much he discusses how much fucking food is laid out on a table every time that there is a eating scene in the Song of Ice and Fire books, right? He'll spend two fucking pages just talking about, like, all the jellied eels and pigeons pies and bullshit. The Indifferent Stars Above also does this, but both books spend a lot of time talking about all the shit that all these people brought with them on their wagons and their boats. Does he get into fucking at all like he does in The Song of Ice and Fire? No, it, this book is not anywhere near as horny yeah. as Song of Ice and Fire, I will say. Problematically horny. <laughs> Pro yes, very much. And Heather and I actually joked about that because he seems to be like like, capital P prevert in kind of the weirdest way. Like, bro, you spent a paragraph talking about Daenerys Targaryen's 13-year-old nipples. Uh, sure. Yeah. You know, like, okay. Yeah. So much in the same controversial way. My biggest criticism of Fever Dream, again, this is set prior to the Civil War, so there are slaves. It is set in the South. It is 
on the river boats and then New Orleans and Natchez and all these other places along the way, right? So the N-word gets thrown around a lot, right? Lots of derogatory terms. He pulls a Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, a lot of derogatory terms for black people, right? It's one thing if a character says the word in context of, hey, I am this awful character and these are my awful views. Because you just chalk that up to like, okay, well, it's that character saying that, right? But not in in the narration itself. There's no need for that, right? You could just say these slaves had a hard time getting all the stuff on the boat, not these N-words had a hard time getting all the stuff on the boat. Okay, all right, Martin. Was this one of his weird novels that came out like in the 80s, I'm guessing? I want to say it's like early 80s, late 70s. Okay, so like early 80s. So like, yeah, sure, we could chalk it up to time and place, but still... But still... Yeah, there's no need for that. (laughs) That wasn't that long ago, right? No, there's no need for that. But yeah, like, it's one thing if a character is saying awful things in the context of, I'm an awful character, right? No matter what it is, no matter who it's about or whatever, like, it's one thing if it's, like, a character thing. It's not fun. It still sucks to, like, have a character that's that openly hostile and obnoxious. But like I said, it's something different when it's just part of the general narration. Because then it becomes, oh, this is you the author saying this and yeah. yes i did listen to an audiobook <laughs> it's this, an audiobook which okay, was also yeah. just like oh right yeah i bet <laughs> so anyway yeah that i think is gonna be my biggest criticism and i would say you know i don't know if that factored into why a lot of places were so hell-bent on like oh god we're gonna adapt this game of thrones is huge let's do fever dream next as a mini series then everybody was just like not nah, actually no i don't know if that's a factor it could be but it's the kind of thing that is so easy to fix yeah that's a thing so easy to avoid that you know i i'd still like to see fever dream realized in another medium i think that would be really cool right like a mini series of fever dream would be fucking dope i kept thinking about the main steamboat captain dude as like ray winstone neat at the same time yeah like we could tone down the n-word use right Mm, anyway so those are my two audiobooks and then the last thing i'll mention real quick is a comic that i read it is a comic series that is finished it is i want to say nine issues it is written by daniel kraus who wrote the novel of shape of water and collaborated with Guillermo del Toro on the show Troll Hunters. It is drawn by Chris Sheehan, who is doing the Something is Killing the Children spinoff House of Slaughter right now. And the book is called The Autumnal, and it's pretty fucking rad. I kind of dug it. Kind of a rough around the edges, former punk band front woman who is now just kind of stuck in a weird spot with her nine-year-old daughter, and she finds out that her estranged mother dies and that she has to go back up to the funeral. Okay, cool. She left us the house, so now we have a place to live, but now it's in this weird, shitty... Not shitty. It's a very, very nice little town, but 
but it's the kind of nice little town where like there's clearly something fucked up happening, right? Yeah, my favorite. Your trip. favorite. <laughs> and let's just say there's something weird with the trees and leaves. Oh, autumnal. Now I get it. Yeah, because autumn, like my daughter. There's something kind of like weird and fucked up happening, right? It's pretty great. It's pretty cool. I definitely dug it. It's a very self-contained beginning to end kind of thing. So check this out. Now. And uh, you can pick up the trade pretty cheaply, which I ended up doing. So yeah, that one I would definitely recommend check it out and i'm not going to tell anything more for fear of spoiling anything did you say which publisher it is, is it it's vault? vault comics yes okay yeah i'm looking at it right now it's an eight issue okay yeah i'm gonna have to get this because this looks rad yeah it's pretty great so yeah once again that is the autumnal all right cool well that is it for recommendations so let's go ahead and talk <laughs> about our new friend <laughs> pizza bear it is not the offspring of witchcraft or Satan. It was created by man. It will grow to be 15 feet tall. It will have huge eyes, webbed hands, hooked claws. It will walk upright. And it will mindlessly mercilessly kill every living thing it meets. Prophecy. So oh. this week we are doing Prophecy, a 1979 sci-fi monster horror movie eco-horror movie? Yes. Directed by John Frankenheimer and written by David Seltzer. Now, the reason why I'm bringing up both of them is I, I'm sure you know a lot more of this kind of stuff than I do, Aaron, but I did read a couple articles about this movie kind of gearing up. John Frankenheimer has done a lot like leading up to this movie. He had done some pretty interesting good yeah. shit like the Manchurian Candidate. Yeah. The Train. Yeah. Seconds, which is a fucking dope movie. Black yeah. Sunday, 52 Pickup, The Island of Dr. Moreau, which that is a weird fucking detour that happened after this movie that we might get into one day eventually. Yeah. So yeah, Frankenheimer did a lot of cool shit. And then the reason why I bring up David Seltzer, the writer specifically, is we I think we brought him up before on this podcast because he's the writer for The Omen, yep. which we did The Omen way back uh, with Crystal. Go check that out if you uh, are interested. But Prophecy is a very weird fucking interesting movie. And I mentioned earlier in the podcast that this movie wants to be two different things to me. On one hand, it feels like this earnest, maybe thriller, maybe drama, where you have this eco doctor who goes into environments and like treats the patients in certain environments and details if the environment is safe for human health um, or if it's hazardous. Uh, you have him, you have him caught in between the Native Americans and the logging company, the logging company trying to get into the land that the natives are claiming is their land. And then you also have this subplot with him and his wife where because of his work, he sees so much so much suffering with children, specifically that like he doesn't want to bring a child into the world to like, I guess, protect them from the suffering. But yeah, like <laughs> that, yeah, that's a very convoluted way of saying this movie is very convoluted. <laughs> yeah. And then like he, there's a weird subplot where his wife finds out she's pregnant, but like doesn't want to tell him because of this. So you have all that and that's all treated a thousand percent seriously. Like, yeah, the dialogue, the direction, like it feels like a serious movie. But then you have Pizza Bear punching a child <laughs> in a sleeping bag so hard he fucking explodes. <laughs> 
So about 45, 50 minutes into this movie, it gets real fucking dumb real quick. And like, this is where the weird dichotomy comes in because when they show the monster and granted, they set up this thing like a xenomorph. You don't see it on the screen until about 45 to 50 minutes in. You only hear noises or rustling of it. They treat it as this cryptic thing and a cryptid kind of stalking through the forest. You have her grandfather, who's the oldest in the tribe, say that it's a local legend that is woken up to protect them and protect their land from this logging company. And then this fucking thing appears and a xenomorph it is not, but it has just as memorable of an appearance as the xenomorph <laughs> for all the wrong reasons. The xenomorph is like Geiger, like nightmare fuel, like impressive feat of horror filmmaking. And Pizza Bear literally yeets a kid into a boulder and explodes into feathers because he's in the sleeping bag still. <laughs> and like, and when we say Pizza Bear, I think you had mentioned, Aaron, on earlier episodes when you brought up Prophecy, because I know you talked about it as a recommendation and brought it up before, that you thought it was Shockwaves, but actually it turns out that the film crew called the monster Pizza Bear and Barbara on set. So like, that's why we're using Pizza Bear. Because honestly, this fucking monster is a, literally a bear that looks like it's made out of pizza. And uh, it's not great when it's on screen. It's... <laughs> I think it's a pretty great design. Is it well realized? Maybe not. But, you know, it's it's a great concept, but it is definitely a pizza bear. So I'm glad you bring up the creature design specifically because of the articles I read, one stood out to me and I actually have it pulled up still. It's called uh, Prophecy, a monster movie that needed a better monster. It was written on the website denofgeek.com by Don K back in November 27th, 2019. He actually talked to Seltzer himself and I want to quote this because this is such a good quote and this is what Seltzer said in the article. It's a terrible movie. No, it really sucks. As a matter of fact, I would like to have it remade. It's something on my bucket list to do because I think the book, which is his own novelization of the script, is better yeah. than The Omen. He even went on to say that Frankenheimer, he's like, I'm not telling tales on a dead man, but Frankenheimer actually admitted to being drunk while he was directing this movie. Yeah, he was dealing with alcoholism at the time, for sure, which Frankenheimer yeah. even said in hindsight, yeah, I could have done a better job on that movie. Well, and then the other thing, too, I thought was interesting that the article also mentioned was Seltzer had this idea for the original idea of the monster and they even hint at this in the movie like when he talks about how a human during development goes through all the stages of evolution of fish to amphibian to etc etc with like webbed feet and all that <laughs> which that which, is like that's the suspect insane fucking <laughs> yeah. bit of dialogue yeah yeah as insane as the dialogue is again because the delivery is like so dead fucking serious the original idea was it was supposed to be a mashup of of literally every step of evolution like this thing was going to be like part fish bird mammal all on the basis of this half-skinned bear which does show up in the movie is like a half-skinned bear it's mostly a bear in the movie part of its head is just kind of like one eye is just really big and like looks kind of like a pig it says man bear pig before south park was ever a thing <laughs> yeah but i th i liked that idea of like the mashup of evolution but the movie's version doesn't quite capture that at all <laughs> yeah and then this was the 
other thing, like kind of with the seriousness and tone of like all the actors are treating this like thousand percent, not the movie it actually is. They are all putting in a massively. And when I say they're putting a performance, I'm not like, haha, tongue in cheek, like blood rage. They are all treating this seriously, which is ridiculous when the pizza bear is actually on the screen attacking them. <laughs> so that's where like that weird dichotomy is. You have the ridiculousness of the pizza bear on top of an actual serious drama thriller movie. <laughs> that's the main point I wanted to get out there before like we discuss any further cool yeah so i guess my first question would be this like you said at the top of the episode you wanted to watch some kind of monster attack animal attack kind of movie like what got you in the mood for that i guess Honestly, I no real reason. Well, no, actually, I take that back. I can point to you exactly why I was in the mood for that. It was from reading through Heather Wixon's book okay. that I brought up as a recommendation earlier. Kind of pulled behind the curtain. I literally finished that book three days ago, and I watched Prophecy two days ago, and now we're recording. Listeners, we're not on top of our shit at the turn of the year. Uh, we are literally choosing films days before recording, and this was one of those moments where like, we went with Prophecy, but the reason why I wanted an animal attack was because so many of those guys just like worked on like mutant animals or giant animals for like creature feature movies and it just got me into that mood of yeah i don't want us to pull the trigger on jaws just yet that's going to be like an undertaking but I wanted something maybe a bit more ridiculous, like a Lake Placid, like a giant crocodile. We were going back and forth between this and Alligator, which we will also do Alligator eventually on this podcast. But uh, we decided on Prophecy because not only is it this weird pizza bear going back to like what this movie is actually trying to be serious about. There is actually a lot it has to say about nature striking back and man versus nature and ecology in general and kind of ruining the planet and like corporations fucking things up to like basically just cut a few corners and save a couple extra dollars and like environment be damned native american land be damned which is still very relevant to today maybe more so now yeah totally and yeah i think the other thing too i mean i've always loved animal tech movies and like giant monster movies and shit and it's interesting like how long this particular subgenre has been around yeah you know you could argue king kong is kind of like the first big major thing i mean that was the 1930s you know but the 50s especially were like chock full of fucking giant monster movies but they kind of all had the origin of atomic whatever whatever right yeah it was all very much a reaction to the bomb at hiroshima which godzilla is firmly rooted in and godzilla was like another movie that we kind of threw around as a possibility um which we will do the original one there eventually sometime too but this trend continued through the 60s and then hit really big in the 70s because then right smack in the middle of the 70s you also have Jaws and Jaws was a huge massive mega hit so then for the entire next decade you've got tons and tons and tons of fucking Jaws ripoff movies that are all kind of chasing that same high but this movie kind of does both things where there is an animal creature monster stalking and killing people but then there is that extra layer of oops turns out the sins of mankind have wrought this monster that's gonna seek retribution upon us right yeah so like it's very very much kind of a combination of both things the weird thing is it's this is such an unashamed movie it's unashamed about both aspects yeah pizza bear is obviously a guy in in a big suit running around it's so fucking obvious even by 70s standards it looks like shit but it is treating this thing like it's an 
unstoppable killing machine treating it seriously and again the performances and even just the themes that the movie is you don't have to dig deep at all they're right there on the screen like it is very much an ecological genre movie but it's being so earnest about all of it again going back to that Den of Geek article like because this movie came out in what in 79 right around Alien and leading up to this movie you had ecological horror movies like Soil and Green even like in the the early 70s and then what you were saying with Animal Attack you had Bug Food of the Gods Day of the Animals like all these other stuff and then you have this one come out and it tries to mash both of them on top of each other with a director who has done and a writer who have both done like well successful serious movies genre movies even yeah also too like seltzer drew inspiration from the disaster in minamata japan which they mention in the movie specifically i didn't realize that okay and that's like a real life thing that actually happened where a chemical factory in japan was dumping shit tons of methyl mercury which was something that they used in their chemical process but then just ended up needing a way to get rid of it had no idea what the environmental impacts were but they just figured like whatever we'll just dump it so they just dumped it into a nearby river and it caused massive massive damage to the people and the animals and the plants and just everything in that area because turns out yeah mercury can uh fuck you up so for generations people have lived with weird health issues and birth defects and everything else until all that got resolved and the company tried to cover it up it all got blown open in the late 50s and it was kind of this massive environmental crisis that's why we know so much about mercury poisoning and shit at this point while this movie kind of treats mercury poisoning as like this thing that basically causes mutant rabies but without rabies and like causes animals to grow insanely huge and be super aggressive and like the fish literally eats a duck because it's so big (laughs) and like that raccoon just which again that was like that should have been an early sign for me of like oh this movie is actually ridiculous even though everyone's putting in like a serious melodramatic performance they had the super melodramatic tension between him and his wife and then he gets fucking attacked by a rapid raccoon (laughs) and throws the raccoon into the fire that was just like what anyway um but if we're talking about real life fears and phobias which is the premise of our show ladies and gentlemen and everyone who is listening that is a real life fear like a mercury poisoning i mean we see it like flint michigan with the lead poisoning in the water and that's still something that's happening and no one seems to give a fuck and you hear about it all the time with oil spills and companies doing these things they shouldn't be that oops turns out it harms the environment and i mean look at the rise of microplastics and now we all have microplastics in our bodies and the thing that really hit home for me early on in the film he catches fish from the lake and they eat the fish that night she hasn't revealed to him yet that she's pregnant and later on the movie he talks about how mercury is is in there and how very little of it can cause like all these birth defects and he described it in a very dated term he called it monster like or horrific no he called it freakism it was discovered after extensive testing that it is the only mutagen that jumps the placental barrier concentrating in fetal blood cells where it adheres to the dna and corrupts the chromosomes jumps the placental barrier what does that mean it's a mutagen a mutagen what is that freakism 
Freakism, that's what's been going on out there. That's why there's a goddamn salmon five feet long and a tadpole the size of what a bullfrog should be. Freakism, yeah, yeah, a very data term. And she realizes like, oh shit, is our unborn child now affected from the little bit of fish I ate? Honestly, like that part resonated with me. And again, I brought it up multiple times already on the show, but ever since Autumn was born, a lot of the more parental fears that are in these horror movies, even if they're just kind of minor, resonate with me a lot more. And I don't know if it's the same for other parents out there, but that was kind of effective for me, just kind of seeing her go through those emotions and struggle with that and realize did i just fuck over my unborn child that i do yeah. want to keep that was a kind of a little bit of a gut punch and speaking of which talia shire in this movie i mean she's yeah. always great she's the mvp of this film by far <laughs> i mean robert foxworth and armand Desante are also doing some work in victoria rossimo <laughs> armand Desante is doing something something this cast is wild by the way because this was totally just like hollywood oh we have native american characters let's cast this filipino woman and this Italian guy who kind of have darker skin and just call them Native American. Yeah. And they're not going to have an accent. They're going to talk like the whitest people ever. Yeah, it's definitely kind of weird for sure. Yeah, like especially his delivery. Like he was not even trying. <laughs> it's kind of wild to me too. Like again, Armando Sante is uh, really Italian. Otherwise has made a career of being fucking Italian mob bosses in movies, right? That's what I recognize him from, yeah. It's weird that he's playing, I guess red face is the term. I don't know if there's like a more appropriate term for that. Obviously like, uh, you know, I don't know. But like, there's so many other actual Native American actors and extras in this movie. That's the thing, like because wasn't the grandfather played by yes. an actual indigenous person? Right? So, like, why not just actually cast... I just... But, 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 anyway. And there's people that still today are just like, well, I don't see what the issue is. Get the fuck out of here. Like, it's not hard. Go look at more recently. This might be spoiler alerts for Hawkeye, so fast forward about a minute. But uh, Echo, yeah. who in the comics is Native American and actress... That actress is great. They casted Echo as is Native American, and she is my favorite part of that fucking show. And her dad in the show is Zon McLarnon, who is also a First Nations actor who is <laughs> yep. fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah, like... It's not hard. <laughs> it's not hard. It really isn't. And like, I actually did have to look up because Victoria Rossimo is Ramona Hawks was definitely more I'm trying to refine the right word. She was more believable in her role than Armand Asante. Sure. But like, yeah, that's where I found out she was a uh, Filipino. And I was just like, I mean, why are we doing it that way? Like, come on. Yeah. Sure. But yeah, whatever. Uh, but yeah, that, that's the weird thing about this movie is because then you have the grandfather and all the extras that are First Nations. Like, <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, yeah, like there is definitely a lot of that real life stuff in here. I mean, too. This movie kind of came out not long after Roe, and so there's, you know, an entire discussion at the beginning about, you know, whether or not Maggie's going to get an abortion. You know, that was definitely like a hot-button thing in the 70s that shows up a lot in horror movies, turns out. How many horror movies have we covered now from the 70s where abortion, like, yeah. is a topic of discussion, right? They bring it up very matter-of-a-fact, too. Like, and, and that's the thing. Like, I was kind of blown away by the first 10 minutes of it because i mean beyond like the introduction which by the way three minutes in we get a dead dog great job horror movie 
There you go. There's your does the dog die.com. <laughs> yeah. A raccoon later on gets thrown in a fireplace, whatever. But uh, which I loved that beginning where the orchestra music is playing and they're just showing you all the dead lumberjacks that the pizza bear killed. It was very dark and surreal. After that concert, one of her friends or coworkers in the symphony comes up to her and they mention the abortion cut to like that Native American demonstration happening in downtown. And then you go from that, you're introduced to the doctor, the main character, and he's going to a ghetto to help a child who has rat bites on him. Yeah. He talks to the mom and you find out that the landlord for this building, this building that should be condemned a thousand percent is living in Georgetown and could give a fuck and like go back to like all the stories you heard during COVID of like landlords who didn't give a fuck and screwing people over out of like where they lived and the government having to intervene in in certain ways, but maybe not still doing enough. I was kind of impressed with how much this movie, a lot of themes it was tackling, but it didn't dig, I think, as deep as it probably should have or could have with those themes. Well, no, and it's very, very much oh yeah this is our like great white liberal savior coming to like help all yeah. of us poor colored people out there was a bit of white savior to it yeah it definitely still has a little bit of that hollywood we're doing the right thing it's one thing when like that's done in earnesty it's another thing when it definitely like this kind of comes off as you know hollywood's gonna teach us a lesson it's it's very much the like eric cartman from south park doing the fucking edward james almost like i need to help these kids i will teach these (laughs) how do i reach these kids right it's very much that you know how do i fix all the wrongs of the world well oh you know maybe you know okay uh whatever but that's kind of one of the things about the movie where like you can tell the movie means well but it definitely doesn't come off entirely unscathed from that criticism i think it's like the person trying too hard to be like be the ally but like they're being obnoxious kind of about it and yeah. like they're doing too much yeah it kind of felt like that without actually doing anything at all really at the end of the day yeah it's one of those things where like you know we both have fairly progressive politics right so it's like okay i fundamentally like agree with the message we need to do better about the environment and we need to do better by people because like the movie says people are the environment we all exist in the environment if the environment's fucked up guess what we're gonna get fucked up too like it's all that giant circle of life kind of thing like we fundamentally agree with that message but at the same time robert verne is just such a like harried oh god the weight of the world is on my shoulders and i have to be the one that fixes this for everybody like no you don't whatever yeah and there's a bit of cynicalness to this too which like not in a good way either yeah and his cynicism is way overboard too just his entire outlook on everything i you know i i'm not gonna say i'm immune to that certainly like you know i definitely have some misgivings about trying to bring a child into this awful fucked up world but like you know it's still something that my wife and i want to do and we want to experience that and you know we see all of our friends that have had kids and cool neat so like we're trying to make that happen too cool i can't say that at times i haven't been like oh yeah the world's kind of fucked up and dark and yeah it's unfair to like have to subject anybody 
anybody else to that, but that's kind of a fucked up way of looking at the world, and, you know, you can't quite go to that level all the time in your life, right? I still think that, even after Autumn is born, I still think that, but... But there's a healthy way to manage that. Well, and I also think, at this point, like, the job of being a parent is not only to, like, you know, care for them and raise them, but it's also to... Teach them to do better. We are put here on this earth to help others, right? That's what I want to pass on to her. It really is my goal for her, and if we have a second child or however many children we have that they are better than me period yeah they just do better than me they are better people than me and that they can aid and assist in like fixing the problems that even our generation hasn't fucking figured out either yeah that's kind of the stuff i wish this movie tackled more of you could keep all the goddamn stupid ass pizza bear shit in there because like (laughs) at least that was a laugh i did laugh a lot when they reached the native american blockade they're blocking the road and not letting them on fucking chainsaw versus axe fucking fight. duels him with a chainsaw an axe and a chainsaw duel like I was like let's fucking go this is some Resident Evil shit right here that and then the rabid raccoon and like fucking pizza bear eating the kid in the sleeping bag like that's all good great shit keep that all in there but you can also like in the more melodramatic moments those are the kind of things I wish the movie tackled because like again though this first 10 minutes like really set this up of like oh this movie's like not shying away from problems that are going on right now huh yeah and it doesn't really go any more than just again like you mentioned kind of the white savior like it's up to me to help them and to fix things and blah 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 it's like fuck off (laughs) go back to pizza bear yeah so kind of get into the production of this movie this was one of the first movies to be shot in the vancouver area of british columbia people still shoot movies there constantly that has been a stand-in for like the in air quotes, American wilderness for decades, right? Tons and tons and tons of movies have shot in British Columbia. I mean, shit, there's still people who use, what, downtown Toronto as New York City in some movies? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that what the Hulk did recently? Yeah, Canada in general is used a lot as stand-ins for the U.S. So, yeah, this this was, like, kind of a big deal, and I did notice, re-watching it again, it's kind of impressive how much helicopter photography Yeah. Yeah. is in this movie like there's a lot yeah. of really really impressive oh y'all spent some fucking money shooting this movie clearly the budget for the creature went to that <laughs> yeah so like it's very interesting that yeah you're seeing very pristine amazing wilderness and all these huge massive aerial shots of all these forests so all of that was actually kind of a treat to look at like you mentioned the original concept for the creature was much more chimera-like. It was kind of more bird-like, but was also supposed to have, like, a beaver tail and all kinds of other weird shit. Imri, the, like, tribal elder guy, kind of mentions Katadin, the protector monster, is kind of, you know, represented by all of God's creatures, and it was supposed to be, like, this giant amalgamation of all the different animals in the forest together. For those of you trying to keep up, Pizza Bear is the Katadin, but that's the only time we're gonna gonna call it the cottadin we're gonna just go back to calling it pizza bear or barbara (laughs) (laughs) barbara's a good one too rick baker and stan winston were both approached to do this movie but both turned the job down uh that would have been such a different movie if one of them did it uh yeah probably so i mean i i don't know how much the movie itself would have been different versus just the creature the creature better right i feel like a good percentage of this movie would be fixed at least the horror parts of this movie would be fixed if the creature looked better well i think the creature honestly is pretty 
effective. Even though it is guys in a big giant potato suit, I think they do a decent job of shooting it and kind of hiding a lot of it from shots. Like, you don't really see yeah. a whole lot of shots of it standing in full, fully lit. You know what I mean? It helped them keep that ingrained. I laughed pretty hard when I saw it was a PG-rated movie, but like 1970s PG, which is more PG-13, like hard PG-13 now. Yeah. But uh, and So let them kind of stay within the PG rating too. There were a lot of kills that like you didn't necessarily see what it was actually doing to them. The thing I'll agree with you is that design-wise, despite it not having as much of the Chimera look and us laughing at so much about Pizza Bear, if you actually like take a look at what its face looks like and everything, it's actually a pretty rad design. The parts that don't work for me is when I you actually can see it in action, when you actually see like full-bodied moving around. That's where it didn't work for me. Like, and granted, you're right, they did a good job of not showing as much of that as they could, but there were just some scenes where it was unavoidable and in those scenes it literally looks like 1940s 50s man in a rubber suit obviously this is a guy in a suit yeah and to your point too about the violence and the rating guess what this movie was originally way more violent the studio kind of requested hey let's trim some of the more extreme shit and get that r rating down to a pg (laughs) a guy still gets beheaded on screen yeah and it was originally (laughs) more graphic it lingered on the shot a lot further Isley, when he's trying to climb under the fence to get to like the radio station and you just kind of hear Pizza Bear lumbering up and crunch and him screaming and getting drugged under the fence, right? Originally, he's like graphically disemboweled by Pizza Bear. They ended up cutting all that. And it's kind of disappointing that none of that footage has really seen the light of day either, because I'd be curious to see at least what that stuff looks like, because at the beginning, at least, when you see all the, like, rescue team guys, (laughs) they're all fucked. They're all, like, bloody and kind of fucked up, and, you know, you definitely see the guy get beheaded, the pilot, and that's kind of terrifying. Like, he's bound up and trapped to the roof of the fucking vehicle and just rips his head off. I can't believe they trapped him to the top you were begging for that truck to get flipped and him to get killed that way because like why the fuck did they strap that guy on top of the truck yeah i guess they were just like well we can't have him in here with us yeah (laughs) we don't need him bleeding all over our clothes i guess the one thing horror like just straight up horror wise i did like maybe it's because like it helped them get around some of the more ridiculous gore effects but like i liked the idea that the pizza bear doesn't devour them or like totally mutilate them but like mutilates them just enough to like send a message almost and he just yeah. leaves or she because it's revealed later on that it's a she just leaves the bodies just thrown out that's pretty effective uh, again going back to that opening shot where like it just shows all the dead lumberjacks like in the river and everything that's pretty cool yeah so pizza bear itself is two different size suits apparently so there is a six foot suit that was played by charles flemmer and Tom, billed as Tommy McLaughlin, who directed Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, and a handful of other things. So he went on to, like, actually be a director. 
I have heard a funny story about how he, like, got fired off of this fucking movie because he was trying to, like, give suggestions to John Frankenheimer on how to shoot a certain scene, and he was just like, fuck off, kid. And then there was a ten and a half foot pizza bear suit that was worn by Kevin Peter Hall, who is seven foot fucking two. He played the alien in Without Warning. He was in One Dark Night, which was also directed by Tom McLaughlin. It was his direct debut he plays harry in harry and the hendersons <laughs> yeah he's predator in predator one oh, and two <laughs> and he's in big top peewee because i will never fucking miss an opportunity to bring up big top peewee and how fucking weird that movie is kind of show boss i'll tell you what kind of snow showball snowball so yeah it just boils down to being the very traditional tokusatsu style godzilla thing of just man in monster suit yeah I've been dunking on Pizza Bear all episode, but I would kill to own one of those suits, specifically like the six foot one that I could probably fit into. Oh, God, those suits probably stink. Oh, they probably do. They probably were not if they're, they're even still around apart. Yeah. yeah, if they're even still around. But like, I doubt they were well taken care of at all. <laughs> but uh, like if they were still like around and in decent shape, I would kill to own one of them. <laughs> Just run around as Pizza Bear. Yeah, that would be like a hell of a movie prop to own for sure. So kind of like you mentioned earlier, David Seltzer wrote the novelization. So there, there is an actual book of this movie that kind of diverged in a few different ways. So like I mentioned, the monster was kind of the main thing where it was supposed to be a completely different design. And when they changed up the look of the monster, that's the main reason why, from what I have seen and read online, that was kind of the main reason why... Seltzer was like, cool, bye, I'm done with this. Yeah, that's kind of the general feeling I got, too. Yeah, he kind of parted ways, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, from there, we have the rest of the cast. Again, Richard Dysart that plays Isley. He's the head manager guy of the paper mill. So he's kind of our chief villain in the movie besides Pizza Bear. It's a surprising turn of heart, though, like when he finally sees, like, the Pizza Bear offspring. Yeah, a little bit. But then he gets, yeah, he gets, like, a rated almost like half off screen <laughs> yeah no big deal the fact that you've got an entire native american tribe telling you hey our kids are all being born fucked up with all kinds of birth defects but you know seeing a fucking melty teddy bear is the thing that gets him to come around <laughs> You're right? So right so yeah richard dysart was in a shit ton of tv stuff the day of the locust being there the thing which we have covered. He was Dr. Copper in The Thing, who gets his fucking arms bit off. <laughs> and uh, he was in Pale Rider, Wall Street, Back to the Future 3, Batman the Animated Series. There you go. Uh, which I don't think that one will really count for this episode because we already mentioned that on the Thing episode. I forget, though. What what did he play? He's like Dr. Bartholomew. Okay. Yeah, he's just like yeah. a rando kind of side character. Maybe like an animated only, yeah. Yeah. And he is the voice of Cogliostro in all of the animated Spawn stuff. So, yeah, he had a very interesting career. Victoria Racimo, like we mentioned earlier, plays Ramona Hawks. She was in a shit ton of 70s and 80s TV, as well as Ernest Goes to Camp. Classic. 
And uh, Armand Asante, again, who plays John Hawks, very, uh, very Italian, not Native American. Looking at his filmography, I'm going to say. Kind of crazy. He had kind of his big peak period of like, okay, Paradise Alley, Private Benjamin, Eye of the Jury, 1492, directed by Ridley Scott, which I'll get back to in a second. Hoffa, Judge Dredd. You know, I never understood that. Why did you judge me? You killed innocent people. The means to an end. You started a massacre. I caused the revolution. You betrayed the law. <laughs> <laughs> um, striptease, gaudy, and then the one thing that Heather and I kind of talked about, and you might have seen this. Do you fucking remember the like TV miniseries giant mega event adaptation of The Odyssey? No, I don't. It actually was kind of wild and it had Vanessa Williams and Bernadette Peters and a bunch of random people in it. And Armand Asante is fucking Odysseus in it. Yeah, I'm seeing it came out in 97. I, I don't know how I never heard about this. I'm surprised you didn't watch it in school then. No, we didn't. I remember having some like weird kinder trauma from that because there's all the guys on his boat getting fucking crunched by the Hydra. And then when they find the Cyclops, the fucking Cyclops picking up one of his dudes and just crunching him in half like yeah there was some fucked up stuff of that i mean he got a fucking golden globe nomination for it <laughs> yeah so from there it fucking falls off the edge of an abyss into like red box direct to tv awful photoshopped dvd box art armando sante with stubble and hair gel and sunglasses like holding a gun and the title of the movie movie is like retribution and blood it's bullshit like that literally until 2007 where Ridley Scott brings him back because again they worked together previously he brings him back for American Gangster and he's playing like a fucking Italian mob boss in that movie and then it's just right back to horse shit again so he's got kind of a wild whoa what happened I mean he worked a lot he's getting paid good for him but like what happened he needs to fire his fucking agent you know like he is somebody that I have seen be very over the top but in kind of a good way he has an energy that I think you can harness and I think you can use and this movie a good example of that granted he's literally in red face running around in fucking tight jeans and flannel with a bow and arrow on his back that he like never actually takes the fucking time to use until like the very 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 last instance completely monotone by the way like no accent whatsoever either yeah he has a very specific energy that i think this movie kind of whiffs on but this was maybe early in his career before people really knew what to do with him but there's something there right you can see like okay there could be more to this dude and i think he kind of proved that into the 90s right but something fucking happened and like i said i think he just needs to like fire his agent i don't know what's going on there but yeah his filmography was an interesting dive to go down 
through the mid to late 90s, he got a bunch of Golden Globe nominations and he won an Emmy. Maybe he's just like, cool, I did what I wanted to do. My body of work is already impressive. Now to just cash paychecks, easy paychecks. Or like a lot of other dudes, he's got five alimonies he's paying out and yeah. child support and $5 million of IRS taxes that he's got to pay back. You know, I don't know. It could be in the same boat as a lot of the other red box guys that we have right now, right? I like how I gave him the benefit of the doubt and you were like, nah, he probably has some fucked up history. <laughs> yeah, like, I, yeah, it's Hollywood. So, Dr. Robert Verne, our bearded, small afroed Dr. Hero Man. 70s disco as fuck look in this movie, by the way. Yeah, he, he looks like a growth that came off of Bob Ross that he, like, cut off and put in a jar of water and then it sprouted into Robert Foxworth. Yeah, he was in a shit ton of TV. He was in Airport 77. He was in Damien the Omen 2. So he's got a little bit of a horror background. He was in a couple of horror movies before this one. I only mention this because I'm kind of fascinated and curious about it. He's in this movie immediately after this one called The Black Marble, uh, which co-stars Harry Dean Stanton and Christopher Lloyd. Okay. Just... Google the poster for the Black Marble. I'm remembering now. You texted me this. It is the most excellent shit meme poster I've ever seen. It is literally just Johnny Carlisle does it again. The writer of Blibbity Blobbity comes <laughs> back with another smash hit. And it's literally just Robert Foxworth as a cop. And he's standing inside of a closed giant pair of handcuffs with you know, a like hot lady on the other side of the handcuffs and she's looking at him angrily with her hands on her hips and then he's on the other side of the handcuffs just hands out going like whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like it's the most ridiculous shit meme like, like a Pat Oswalt joke. This doesn't exist. Yeah. This is like a Tim and Eric. Yeah. This is like one of the fake posters that's hanging on the wall in 30 Rock. You know, it's just one of those kinds of things. Anyway. Well, the thing that also gave me a laugh about him too is his last three credits are Transformers. Transformers, movies. yeah, yeah. He's three the voice of a Transformobot named Ratchet in a Michael Bay movie. He's just like oh, Mr. Robot Man, probably. Uh, that's wild. That's wild. But it is weird considering, like, there is a whole giant chunk of actual voice actors who did the voice of these robots in the original Transformers cartoon. And how when Michael Bay made these movies, he was like, nah, fam, I'm good. We're not going to take the iconic voice actors that you know in your head from growing up. We're just going to get actual celebrities like John Goodman, who have distinct voices, to come in and do these robots. But in no universe would I have been like, yeah, Robert Foxworth, that guy has a fucking dope voice. I need him to be Ratchet the... I'm just gonna guess since his name is Ratchet that he is a, like, mechanics like tow truck that turns into a robot with tools. He might have been the medic one now I'm thinking about it. So he's like an ambulance? Maybe. I, I don't remember. Well, I don't know if he was an actual ambulance or just a sports car that when he okay. turned into a Transformer, he was just the medic guy. That's fucking dumb. Dude, they were all, like, awesome cars. They were... If it's a transformer that is a medic but he yeah. starts off as a sports car and not 
an ambulance. I mean, I could be wrong. I, I watched the first two and then checked the fuck out, and it's been years and years. I've seen the first one when it came out, and there was a time in college that a couple of us from our friend group got real loaded, went and saw the second one, and just hated ourselves. <laughs> Not even a fun one to sit through. This nope. is bad. Yeah. You can't even have fun at it. Like, it's as bad. Yeah, it was bad. Anyway, yeah, we're definitely a little bit off topic. So that's Robert Foxworth, a very confusing guy. So that brings us to the best thing about this movie. Yeah, easily. Yeah, Talia Shire plays Maggie Vern. She is definitely the best performance of the movie, I would say. As much again as I brought up that like every performer is bringing a serious performance to this otherwise ridiculous movie, she really can't help herself because I think she's just that good of an actress. You could put her in anything and she's going to make it better with her ability as an actress. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> She was in the Dunwich Horror, Rad, Deadfall. Recently, she was in Grace and Frankie, but... At the end of the day, she's in the fucking Godfather trilogy, and she's in the Rocky franchise. Done. You're all time. Yeah, made for life, yeah. So, you know, she is easily the best performance in the movie. I think she's kind of where a lot of the heart and soul of this movie lies. She brings some actual kind of gravity to this otherwise ridiculous movie. She's also in the Coppola family, right? Yes. I remember reading that, yeah. part of that giant clan, which is why she's in the Godfather father movies yeah so yeah that's basically our cast in a nutshell and despite flaccid reviews the movie ultimately made fucking 22 million dollars on its 12 million dollar budget so this movie was a hit i think so much of the issue because this movie again was kind of coming out in a time where these movies were common i think what fucking hurt this movie more than anything because movies better movies worse movies all in between in terms of quality had come out before this and after this I fucking guess. alien oh yeah, yeah is that what you're gonna guess yeah i was alien, gonna say alien right is, is what fucked it up yeah came out two weeks prior yeah you're i mean despite talia shire's performance you're there's not there's no competition you're, you're not measuring up to alien no matter what you do alien was a whole next level holy shit kind of thing at the time in terms of what sci-fi could be what horror could be what special effects and production design all of that it was such a massive technical achievement that hit home with the fear and claustrophobia fears of bodily invasion and just every every everything like that was such a massive yeah. ultimate all-time mega hit and this fucking movie with pizza movie <laughs> with, pizza bear yeah with pizza bear came out two weeks later so every critic cannot fucking help themselves but say this is no alien i have seen the light and the light is alien and this is fucking pizza bear here's the thing though like and and what's so ironic and i brought this up earlier is that the build-up to the reveal of pizza bear is treated in the same way as the fucking xenomorph because you don't see it on screen for like i mean you see 45 minutes yeah the chest burster and all that before yeah but like and in here you get like these random 
some rabid raccoon attack and like the big animals and all that. But like the buildup, it's treated the same way as the fucking Xenomorph. It's not on screen for 45 to 50 minutes. You're given this cryptic lore from the grandfather of this protective monster that woke up and is now terrorizing. You're given all this buildup to it. Whereas the Xenomorph changed horror as we know it. Pizza Bear yeets the boy into a rock. <laughs> like, and that's. <laughs> <laughs> which are both memorable they are both memorable scenes but again for all the wrong reasons y'all we keep fucking mentioning it pizza bear fucking punches a kid into a rock so hard <laughs> That he fucking explodes. Like, listen to me laugh. Like, I'm laughing harder than most other things we've done. Just fucking look it up on YouTube. It's easy to find. He fucking punches a kid so hard into a rock that he explodes. This is like a little kid, too. Like, we're not kidding. This kid is like 10 to 12 years old, maybe. I do have to laugh because I I, this movie was so blowing me away with how on one hand I was being super serious and then on the other I had Pizza Bear. So I I normally don't take notes. I normally just kind of wing it and just see where the conversation goes with you, Aaron, and our guests. But this time I took some notes and like one of the things I mentioned was the lead up to that is there's this dad and his two kids he's taking them camping and i loved how earnest this movie was about the concept of camping because in my mind anytime camping is brought up i am the friend that says fuck no i <laughs> want air conditioning it's gonna be a bad experience and everyone's like no, no no it'll be fun we'll have a campfire and blah blah and no every single time i've gone camping even with the best people in the world it's a fucking miserable experience everyone's hot they're sweating whatever every time that we've ever been camping it's been fun and you know it <laughs> god no it, it, even even their most ridiculous shit happening like yeah it's funny but like i'd still would way prefer it being in air conditioning but like i do love that the lead up is that i'm just like yeah we're going camping and then the next scene shows them hiking and they're like fucking where are we going dad and they're like covered in sweat and then the next scene is them getting killed by pizza bear well not just covered in sweat because yeah like camping in the middle of summer you're gonna be sweaty right that's normal it's not just that they're covered in sweat it's that they have strategic makeup dirt soot wiped on just the front of their faces as if they had all been like i don't know fucking smashing rocks with their hands and then wiping the fucking sweat off their face how did they just strategically have dirt just on their faces but not on all their clothes right that's what cracked me up when we were watching i was like what is all this dirt on their faces and of course they're all just like fuck this yep and the girl's Got her fucking, like, Cool Jams blasting from her little radio. Yeah, Cool Jams TM, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just some quick other notes I mentioned was, um, Chekhov's shotgun in the cabin was very disappointing by the end, because I think he just shoots it a couple <laughs> yeah. times at, at Pizza Bear and doesn't really seem to have that much of an effect. I loved how when the lumber mill guy was giving him a tour so he could, like, inspect it for the safety and, like, health inspection. Everyone's in hard hats, but the doctor and his wife, like, yeah. what? Hawk yoloing through a window to escape when the police showed up fucking ruled. Yes, that was some badass shit. The grandpa getting killed by Pizza Bear. Was that stop motion? Like, it looked terrible. Laughably terrible. Him just getting ragdolled. I think what's going on there is you're looking at a miniature of Pizza Bear that is shot on a model lake. So it's like a fake model lake with fake, you know, little miniature trees. It looks so fake, man. And there's like fog and it's dark to kind of obscure it, but it's definitely just like a little miniature puppet 
of Pizza Bear with a little miniature MRI in its mouth and the head just is on a gimbal thing that turns. I think that's all we were really looking at from an effects standpoint. So it looks goofy. It literally ragdolls him like a chew toy for about two seconds. Like they show it for about split second twice and that's it. Yeah. I love that when Pizza Bear like was coming through the lake to get them after that. They're like, oh, he drowned. And they're just sitting there on the dock staring. It's like, you guys are begging to be murdered by Pizza Bear. So I have two final, final criticisms of this movie. So the first thing would be, I think this movie needs to be edited a bit tighter. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So like you said, the the scene where they're all just fucking sitting on the dock. Takes forever, man. And it's clear that these bubbles are getting closer. Should we get up and go the fuck inside? Them is in the water still. Surely he's underwater and he's just drowned by now. Oh wait, the bubbles are still getting closer? Get the fuck up. Go get inside this fucking cabin. Which, granted, the cabin didn't provide a lot of protection because he just smashes through that shit. (laughs) (laughs) But get in the fucking cabin. You could have loaded that gun a lot sooner and you could have been shooting at the fucking bear from a distance. Also, again, Armando Sante has a fucking bow and arrow that he never uses until the very last second and it's completely ineffective. It's more effective than the shotgun, though. It's more effective than the shotgun, yeah. Yeah. He could have been popping the fucking piece a bear full of arrows as soon as it got out of the water right but instead they're all just fucking sitting there the scene that i think was interminable that kind of drove me up the wall and as we were watching it i literally screamed at the tv why is this scene still fucking happening is when they are underground in the tunnels so there's like all these hidden little shortcut tunnels built all around the area that all the native americans like know and they connect to all these different places right so there's the scene where they have little pizza baby bear and it's you know calling out to mama bear and mama bear comes and like fucks everything up they all jump into these tunnels and there's this scene where you just hear pizza bear breathing outside and they're all just staring at each other and it just keeps random screams between all these close-ups of their faces and these like split diopter shots of you know a hard close-up of one person and then two or three other people in the background and it's just their eyes darting and them sweating and like everybody holding their breath and it goes on for like three fucking minutes Yeah, and like the movie thinks it's trying to create tension. What's going to happen next and take its time. But yeah, that needs to be edited down. Exactly. Because what happened was it's the fucking sideshow Bob thing. He steps on the rake. It hits him in the face. Ha ha. It's funny. He steps on the rake. It hits him in the face. It's still funny. Ha ha. And by like the fifth time, you're like, are we still doing this? And by the seventh and ninth time, you're like, fuck this. God damn it. Move on. But by like number 17, then you're back around to like okay yeah this is kind of funny again right so it's kind of that where like like i said i literally was like why is this scene still going you saw what was gonna happen 30 seconds where yeah exactly right the sheriff gets finally moves on in the jump scare yeah 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 and i love the fact that like you just see him get picked up and like ah 
like legs <laughs> flailing, yeah. and then when it falls, it's just clearly a dummy with like blood all over. Blood it. all over. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Another thing, just to round out my notes, uh, some of Armand Asante's mannerisms and just kind of overall quote unquote look in this movie oddly reminded me actually of David Dastmalkian, kind of uh, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. There was yeah. a little bit of that going on. This orchestra soundtrack is thinking this movie is something that it's not. It is way too classical and bombastic for a fucking pizza bear monster. <laughs> well, it's very traditional. It's trying to be Jaws. Yeah, it's like traditional adventure movie score. Yeah, yeah. with elements of horror and thriller to it. And then, real quick, the last note, the movie just kind of ends, huh? Just kind of ends on that, like... So that's what I was about to say. cliffhanger reveal of Father Pizza Bear. Yeah, so that's what I was about to say. And I think, ultimately, despite the weird casting and the red face despite the like weird white liberal savior kind of tropes despite the general corniness there's a lot of despites here yeah that's my biggest criticism is that this movie just kinda ends and there's no resolution around to the baby the paper mill yeah there's no resolution around Native American tribe and that whole conflict there's no resolution around Robert and Maggie's baby yeah. It just, that's it. It kind of ends and like, boom, there's another monster at the end. Oh no. Well, and that's the thing. Like this goes back to what we've been saying the whole time. This movie sets up some really interesting things that it could have tackled and should have tackled more in depthly and actually handled and resolved. And it doesn't resolve any of them except for that. They survived. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so the novelization does actually reveal what actually happens with some of this shit at the end. Okay. So the novelization does reveal that the Native American tribe loses their fucking legal fight at the Supreme Court and the paper company just continues to operate without any oversight. Despite all this shit. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. Great. That's kind Turns of actually out, right, uh, realistic. Basically, yeah, that's what happens in real life, unfortunately. Yeah. It's also revealed that Maggie miscarries her baby due to an wow. injury during the final confrontation with Pizza Bear. Dr. Rob confirms that the child was also fucked up from the methylmercury poisoning from the fish that they ate. Wow, that's a bleak ending, man. <laughs> yeah, but it's okay because he promises Maggie that they're gonna have another child eventually one of these days. They're gonna make it work. Wow. What a fucking, like, dark ending, right? I mean, it's a horror movie. Yeah, that goes hand in hand with Seltzer saying he wants to remake this movie. Yeah. yeah that's, like, on his bucket list to remake it and make it more like the book than the actual movie. Yeah, and the crazy crazy thing is, like we keep saying, it's not like any of these themes have gone out of fucking style, right? It's not, not like any of this shit is not still happening. It's not like we aren't still fucking up the world in all these different ways, right? You could literally just remake this entire fucking movie, but instead of, oh, a paper mill's dumping mercury in the water, just make it about, oh, this oil company's fracking the fuck out of this land, and now there's all these chemicals in the ground, and instead of a pizza bear, now we have fucking tremors. I don't know, like... A mara monster. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, a marinara monster. A mar <laughs> I can't believe it took us that long to get to that joke, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could easily update this, do this again. I mean, to a degree, like, there are some movies that have definitely tackled the same types of themes. You know, The Host by Bong Joon-ho was another one that we had kind of mentioned as a possibility for this oh, well, and general we will topic, do that right? again. We're going to do that one eventually, but it uh -huh. kind of deals with some of the same stuff. You know, so there, there are other movies in a modern context that have done 
a lot of these same themes. So it's definitely not a very niche subgenre that's dead or has gone anywhere. It's just continuing to evolve and mutate because, you know, we continue to keep fucking things up. Yeah, I mean, I prefer uh, Marinara Monster to attack <laughs> us than, like, you know, the planet to fucking boil. Yeah, really. <laughs> but yeah, you know, uh, listeners, we, we've been clowning on this movie this whole episode. It is a dumbass fucking movie. It's stupid, but I kind of also love it. I had a great time watching it. I had an even better time discussing it with you, Aaron. Like, I mean, it's not scary. It's not fucking scary. It's more comedic no, to me than anything. It's not a scary one at all. Go watch it. It's more interesting to just see the, again, the ridiculous two-sided nature to this movie. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I had a good time. It's still not as bad as Mothman prophecies to me <laughs> or, some, <laughs> or something else. Again, I can't stress enough. This is not Night of the Creeps. This is not Blood Rage. This is not Night of the Demons where like the movie and the people involved kind of know exactly what they're doing. This is trying to be serious and earnest and then you just have a pizza bear monster. Like that's it. Yeah. Like that's how it's <laughs> different. So yeah, I mean, that's all I got to say. I, I think like... Uh, I think we're good. <laughs> yep. So all that said, as of right now, uh, again, this is like early January that we're recording this. This movie is on Hulu, so you can check it out there. It has been on Shutter in the past. Uh, I have also seen it on Tubi, so it definitely floats around on all the different streaming platforms. Uh, it is also on Blu-ray from Scream Factory, so you can buy a pretty amazing looking copy of it that way if you would like to have it physically. And uh, with that, I guess that's going to be it for this episode of Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast. I can't believe we went from the changeling to fucking pizza bear. There you go. Oh, man. 2022 off to a good start. Fucking dead family members and grief and uh, ghosts and then like eco terror. So yeah, fun times. That's going to be it. As always, you can check us out on social media at Watch If You Dare on Facebook and Twitter. Definitely please like, subscribe, download, follow, whatever the terms are now on all the podcatchers that you can think of we're on pretty much all of them at this point so take your pick and definitely drop us a review if you have the time and feel inclined to do so apple Podcasts is kind of the biggest most effective one that gets the most eyeballs on it so we would appreciate that if you would leave some kind words as always big thanks to my little brother jesse mansfield aka party gator friend of pizza bear for doing the music bumps the beginnings and ends of all of our episodes you can find more of his stuff on Bandcamp at party gator opossums and big clown and all of his other side groups so check his stuff out throw him a couple bucks get some good music always doing a ton of music yeah yep yep that is gonna be about it i've just got one thing to say after watching this aaron we're gonna do fucking lake placid sooner or later whether you like it or not well, sure I, whatever i feel like had we done lake placid everybody would be like cool so you guys are totally just coasting off of betty white's death huh a month late huh so yeah yeah uh, anyway yeah we'll we'll get around to that eventually giant alligators are always fun so yeah i think that's gonna be it and uh Never forget, the whole world is filled with legends. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard of one. Slemble Salard Salem. Sally. And she is no legend. I have seen her. She is part of all things and bears a mark of each of God's creatures. She has awakened to protect us.
And on that note, listeners, I am going to go eat some pizza. And that is not a bit. That's actually what I made tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.